0: Wrestling fans, in one week, our next audio documentary, The Henry Cejudo Experiment, goes live on this podcast. All six episodes will be available this time next Monday. The documentary, in a sentence, is about how a high school phenom, one Henry Cejudo, became a test subject for USA Wrestling. It's an amazing story. It's entirely about Henry's wrestling career, and I can't wait for you all to hear it. Now let's get to the episode with Brian Pearsall.
1: And then in like the 11th hour, people were like whispering like, did you hear Kale was on campus? Kale Sanderson? Like what, Kale Sanderson? Kale Sanderson? Yeah, they flew him in on a jet. Like, and then people were just like walking around campus trying to like spot him. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change.
0: For me, wrestling saved my life because it it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestle because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to
1: adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time, that's good wrestling. If it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness.
0: Welcome to the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast. This is your host, Ryan Warner. It's Monday, April 17th, coming to you from the windy. Last week it was 80 degrees and I was ready to proclaim that Chicago is yet again the best city in the country, but now it's snowing. And I'm back to 50-50. Our guest today is the associate head coach for University of Pennsylvania, Brian Pearsall. Brian wrestled at Penn State and has been at Penn since 2017, I believe. Awesome to have him on the podcast. I can't wait for you to hear it. Fan of the week goes to a recent Apple podcast review. Tricky Mickey left a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Best wrestling podcast out there. It's my favorite way to start the day. I've wrestled my whole life and now coach youth, and I've picked up a ton of good information from this podcast. Thank you so much, Tricky, Mickey. We greatly appreciate it. And thanks to everyone who's left an Apple Podcast review. Really means a lot, folks. And without further ado, let's give it up for the great Brian Pearsall. Just a quick update from our sponsor. Then we'll be right back to the episode. This episode is brought to you by Frog Ninja Wrestling Club. They were with us last year, and they're back to promote their upcoming summer camps. If you're in the PA area, check out these camps. Amazing clinicians. The first camp is June 27th through the 29th at the Spooky Nuke Complex in Lancaster, PA. Clinicians include Mike Evans, David McFadden, and Brian Pearsall, Who's the head coach at, excuse me, the head associate coach at Penn and a former Penn State wrestler? The Frog Ninja Wrestling Club is also doing a second camp in Oxford, PA, July 11th through the 13th. One of my favorite clinicians for this camp is Morgan McIntosh, who's an Army Green Beret, three time All American, and NCAA finalist for Penn State. He was also a three time California State champ. He's going to be at the second camp in Oxford, PA. So register now at Frog Ninja dot com. Brian Pearsall, welcome to the podcast, my friend.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Ryan.
0: Love having the pen guys on. I know uh, anytime I see anything pen, it's you got you got wrestling Philly Kevin. That guy's <laughs> he's always on, promoting the uh, promoting the movement. And you got one of Illinois' finest BJ Futrell in there, which I did fall for that April Fool's joke for the US Open, but Dude, knowing knowing BJ's his build, he could easily get back in there.
1: Oh yeah, he's fit. Uh, I've I've been busting his chops all season. Just like every time I see him training hard, I'm like, "You coming back? You coming back?" And knowing that he's not, but just to you know keep messing with him. So we we thought we could get a couple people going with that tweet.
0: Your staff is incredible at Penn. I'm sure you hear that all the time, but I mean, look at the collection of guys you have there.
1: Yeah, we we have a good staff. You know, it starts with the leadership. Roger Reina you know an an incredible human being just a great leader of men Um, and the way he runs the program really runs it like a business like a startup Um, you know thinks about the sport differently than a lot of people so you know it starts with good leadership and then you know going down um, I've been working with Roger for six years now Um, so just thankful for for him you know bringing me into the movement and and the Penn family and everything I've learned from him along the way Um, so we've been working together for for several years now and then uh, added, added BJ for trail and Mark Hall last year. So they just finished up their second year with us. Okay. Um, and then obviously, you know, coach Slay has been a staple at the PRTC and he's um, a big factor in, in the success that we're having as well. Uh, having an Olympic champ, Olympic coach, you know, in the room with our guys is, is amazing. And then, uh, and then yeah, Kevin, Kevin, um, our director of ops, you know, he's doing a lot of work for us behind the scenes, just taking stuff off our plate so that we can focus on, the most important aspects of the program.
0: How there's not a statue of Brandon Slay on the Penn campus yet. I, I can't <laughs> understand it. I mean, we got, we got Rocky, we got Sly alone, not, not what a couple miles away. And we got an Olympic champion here, the Satie of killer walking around campus he needs a statue.
1: He does need a statue. He's got that, that cool pose from when he won that in the Olympics, Let's... he's throwing both arms up. It's, it, w- it would make a great statue. I always joke around with Roger too, that, uh, when we get a new facility one day, we're gonna put a statue of him out front, just like Gable out in front of Carver Hawk. Yeah, <laughs> he, he's a he's a modest guy, so he's always like, "No, absolutely not." Like, uh, I, I don't want that. So it's funny. Though. I can't
0: I can't get on a podcast and if, there's a couple people that names get brought up, and I always say the same thing. But Mark Johnson, former Illinois coach, love the guy, and then Roger Raina. I mean, there's many people, but Coach Raina is one where. I met him once for the Brandon Slay documentary in person. Mm -hmm. And then we've met a few times since then. The guy is just so engaged when he's talking to you, not a spare word. You're totally like in the moment. And I I love that about him.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's, he's really engaged. And then he's always just thinking about like, you know, how can I help you? How can I uh, connect you with someone networking? Just like he's always thinking about like bigger picture stuff. Um, which wrestling coaches a lot of times they get so singularly focused on the sport and that's that's a big aspect of the job as well but he's just um, helped grow in me this kind of like holistic mindset like there's a lot more than just wrestling you know there's professional development there's networking there's the academic components especially at a school like like Penn and community service and just you know wrestling is such a um, it's a gateway to other things in life if we if we use it correctly and I think he is is um, just someone that's really at the forefront of those kind of things.
0: Yeah, and the fact that a lot of a lot of what goes on in a program like Penn, I got to I got to imagine for Rogers, like fundraising, right? When mm-hmm. you look at the Penn RTC, and I know you've you partnered with Drexel, and I, I love Coach Azvedo and what they're doing, but the yep. Penn RTC is a heavy hitting machine. Like that is some serious talent on that roster, mm-hmm. and so is that something that you guys are involved with the fundraising on that as well?
1: Yeah, so it's in my role. It's it's an area where I've I've just kind of started to take some some small responsibilities in that area. Um, It's an area that I I, uh, plan on continuing to grow in. Just fundraising, you know, to be a head coach one day. That's something that you're going to be need to be really proficient in. Um, But it's a big aspect of our program. You know, we're not we're not a school that's you know a a traditional power five where it's trickle down money from football and basketball and that that funds the athletic department. Penn and a lot of the Ivy League schools, you know, are self-funded. Um, so, you know, we're, we're responsible for raising our, our annual fundraising budget every year. Um, a portion of that is from endowments, off that, you know, contributes, but a lot of it is just the annual fund that we're, we're fundraising for. Um, and then, yeah, that's just Penn Wrestling. And then you throw the PRTC on top of that, and um, that number gets pretty big pretty quick. So we have a lot of loyal alumni who want to see um, the program be successful and also, just what makes Penn unique and our program unique is it's more about more than just wrestling, right? There's, um, you know, the PRTC, they're they're all about um, impacting lives both locally and globally through the sport of wrestling, Uh, the beat the streets, Philadelphia program, all about altering life's trajectory. So it's always, it's always more than just wrestling for us. And I think that's what really inspires a lot of our alumni and our donors, because, because many people give to all three organizations, Um, you know, either the college program between Penn and Drexel uh, they're donating to their their institutions and then a lot of times there's you know crossover people are also donating to the PRTC and Beat the Streets Philadelphia so it's it's um, a mutual interest really across all three organizations.
0: Isn't that crazy to think about that though it's like if you are so fortunate enough to be able to donate like that there's three calls though just to support the program that's yeah that's tough right?
1: It is tough it is tough so you know we're we're doing doing our best to kind of what can we do to keep things fresh? What can we do to keep, you know, the donors engaged? And um, we're, we're making a push to bring you know, some of these younger guys along and get them just um, either more engaged or re-engaged with the program. I think it's kind of natural. Sometimes people graduate college, they take a step back away from things for a little bit. They're trying to get their professional careers and their family started. And then kind of they get a little bit down the road and, and they start getting re again. So we're really focused on, on that younger, kind of younger group, getting them coming along and, um, and yeah, just sharing the message and, and the values of what we have to offer across all those different demographics. It's amazing
0: because for the professional development, all you have to do is point to the alum of Penn, like, Hey, you want to be a wall street guy? Look at Clint Motter, just yeah, 10 out of 10 kind of guy. You want to get mm-hmm. into film and television, Ben Hada, producer, director, yep. you know, Jeremy Baylor, same thing. It's like, there's so many good just examples from the Penn wrestling graduate that your alumni base just must be crazy exciting to, to, to go out with and to get them involved and excited about wrestling.
1: It is. And, and that's, what's really like inspiring for me. I've, I've always wanted to coach at a place where I know, okay, a kid commits to wrestle for me. He comes to the school that I'm, I'm coaching at, like I'm bettering their life. Like I'm, I'm truly doing something to help them uh, again, more than just winning wrestling matches. Right. Um, so I, I just hear some of the success stories of, of the guys that Roger has coached over the years. Um, and and then I know there was a 12-year gap where, where he wasn't coaching, where, you know, guys that wrestled in that area, obviously super successful alumni as well. And kind of the, the era that I've been here the last six years, like some of our guys are now starting to do some pretty cool things. But, um, all, sorry, all that kind of comes to fruition through a, a thing that we have called the mentoring program. So um, the way it works is, every pen wrestler in their sophomore year is paired with a alumni who's in their field of interest. So just like you were talking about, um, but it's a formalized program. You know, you want to be in private equity. You want to, um, you know, work in professional sports, you know, kind of whatever interest that you want to go into in your sophomore year, we, we pair you with an alum for a one-on-one mentor mentee relationship. Who's in the area that you want to go into. Um, and a lot of times that leads to internships or just, you know, maybe they'll introduce you through networking to the person that ends up hiring you, but um, just to have someone that's kind of like a sounding board for you and. That's genius. Yeah. Bounce ideas off of. So uh, I think that networking and connecting people has always been a strength of Rogers um, even from, you know, when he first started coaching, but now to have a real formalized program that um, is actually now it's housed within the athletic department. Um, originally it was kind of wrestling operating independently and now um, other sports have come on and it's housed within the athletic department here it's a formalized program so when we're talking to recruits and we're talking to parents and families a lot of times um, you know the parents get really excited about that and a lot of times the kids kids sometimes get excited about that and sometimes they're like coach I just want to wrestle you know but you know that kind of long-term thing is always really intriguing to the parents.
0: Well think about it if you're a parent though and and you have a kid it's like Okay, my kid can potentially go to to Penn, maybe even go to Wharton. And by the way, he's gonna be mentored by someone who's super successful. It's like pff, Love that. Yeah. You know, that's huge. Yeah. I love the quote that uh Clint Motter's dad, I always get it confused. Is the dad Andy? Yes. Yes, that he was a Penn State legend. And he told his son, if you get into Wharton, you're going to Penn, period. Period. (laughs) It's like, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It's not even a conversation. He's like, we'll figure the rest out. So, And I uh, that was from the Slay documentary somewhere around there is when I heard that. But I really, you know, I'm not an East Coast guy. Midwest, you know, it's the Ivy League and all that. It's kind of distant. But you hear about that and you look into the Wharton School of Business, like, dude, one of the best, if not the best in the country. So, Yeah.
1: Yeah, year in and year out, number one, number one business school in the country uh, in in almost every ranking, sometimes every now and then just for, I don't know why they put someone else ahead, but pretty consistently, you look across the board, across all years, Wharton's usually number one and also ranks number one in in postgraduate salary. Um, So let's go, let's go. (laughs) It is, it is kind of like, so the best way we like to describe it is it's like getting the number one seed, like um, at the end of the day, you still need to win your matches, but through your body of work, you've earned the number one seed, kind of the, that, that number one seed in life um, through, your, through your body of work. And then you have a little bit easier path. You're better positioned. But at the end of the day, like you still got to do the interviews. You got to land the job. You got to perform well. But your, your path is a little bit easier when you're in that number one seed position.
0: Oh, like exponentially. Um, yeah. and like I you say a little bit, but a lot of yeah. it. <laughs> now I, I do. So we mentioned earlier the kind of the three areas of, of fundraising for a coach. Because a lot of people think about wrestling coaches like it's in the room. I really think the most successful head coaches, and you could tell me otherwise. I don't know if they're even putting the wrestling shoes on five days a week. And, like, what do you see there?
1: Yeah, you know, I would say in that regard, you know, my experience at Penn State when I was in college, like Kale was on the mats every day. Um, you know, and I've I coached at a couple other schools, primarily here at Penn. You know, Rogers Rogers putting on the shoes most days, if not every day, but. You know, obviously, not getting out there and scrapping with the guys anymore, or anything like that. But yeah, a lot of a lot of head coaches are kind of moving towards that that CEO mindset, where they're, um, you know, getting younger, energetic assistant coaches on staff to maybe teach the X's and O's and um, you know, do all that stuff. But yeah, having RTC and senior level athletes for us is just an even added benefit because you know, to have all those those professional athletes in the room that can that can go live and. Uh, do individuals and you know just all that kind of stuff is um it, it separates having
0: jordan burrows around the program that that's right there that's just a, a level of just excitement and you know I'm, he's such a good speaker that kids probably love being around him and not probably they do um but the one thing you mentioned earlier that i want to come back to is so you get the if you're a donor you can you can donate to to penn drexel the rtc or beat the street so those three buckets now we haven't mentioned the fourth one, the NIL. What let's mm-hmm. what what are you uh, what are your thoughts on on this area? What what's kind of like the your, like the general feeling of how that's going to impact RTCs in the long run?
1: Yeah, I would say my general idea is it's good for the athletes when the the purpose is um, when the purpose of the the name, image, and likeness is is done the right way. You know when uh, okay, I can, I can use my name, image, image, and likeness now to, to make money, you know, through, through the avenues that, um, maybe before you couldn't, but I, I'm personally not a big fan of the, the transfer portal and just throwing cash at kids. That's, that's really pay for play. And it, that's not the intent of the rule. And that is not how it's supposed to be. And I know that, you know, there's any, any rule that you create, people are going to find workarounds. They're going to find loopholes and, and ways to kind of game the system, um, I think a lot of the opportunities that our guys are, are taking advantage of or are, are the legitimate, you know, things they're they're finding things that they're interested in. Um, one thing that's really cool that a lot of our guys take advantage of is is different um, meal prep places where they're they're getting these um, these meals delivered for them. So they're getting free meals and really high quality nutrition throughout the week. So, like, yeah, they're not ma- maybe they're not making, you know, like a ton of money off of that. But just to have something like that that you don't have to worry about, like as a college student. And just like all your meals are, are taken care of for the week. Like that's huge. Uh, huge. Especially at a, a place like Penn where time management is, is so important. So I know a lot of our guys are taking advantage of stuff like that. And um, we're still kind of at the early stages of, of what we can do in terms of there's like we, anything that we do, we want to be very sure um, that we're, we're operating within the uh, the rules mm-hmm. of what is permitted. So we um, you know we've taken counsel legal counsel just in terms of like what's permitted, what's not making sure we're really communicating clear with the with our compliance department um, but we definitely have have people that are are interested in, in um, kind of what we can do to advance the program, but it's also in balance of everything right like these other organizations like we don't want to do anything that would take away from those other organizations. so I well, think the... yeah go, go ahead. ahead, sorry. So I was just going to say to kind of put a bow on that, I think NIL can be a good thing when it's, it's done the right way. Um, and and we're very interested in how that is going to affect the college landscape moving forward. And anything that we do, like we always want to be at the forefront of things, but we also are, are pretty risk adverse. You know, we don't want to do anything that would uh, be perceived or program negatively, you know?
0: Absolutely. And I think that's, you think Penn, you think Cornell, you think about some of these programs. I think of like just integrity and character to the highest standard. So that's obviously that's something you guys are are always thinking about. And you think about the the traditional use cases of NIL. To your point, athlete getting some money for for a t shirt deal, or more importantly for wrestling, the summer camps. Like that's what Oaky yep. State got busted for in the summer back in, in the summer back in uh, like ninety one you know, Joe C was paying the the Oklahoma State Cowboy wrestlers and recruits to work his summer camp, you know, a couple hundred bucks a day. That was illegal back then. And they all got busted and Mm. then they lied about it, made it much worse. But that is a common use case that I think makes sense because there's a legitimate, um, value for someone to have a wrestler, you know, current college wrestler as a clinician, you know, the, the t-shirt deals, the rudest deals, those are a little bit fewer and far between. Um, but then obviously what you're talking about is, is the, there's the other use case of it where you definitely see it in football, where these massive donor and collective groups are coming together and giving kids money to go to school there, um, which is unfortunate. And it's, but right
1: now, like, how can you even
0: police that, you know?
1: Yeah, that's the thing. Like, people for so long have been asking for it, asking for it, asking for it. And the NCA has been like, this is, this might be something that might not go well. And then, the, okay, this is a legal court decision and it's, it's not in the NCAA's hands. Now a lot of these are, are contract deals and, you know, uh, things would need to go to court. And it's like, it, it is out of the NCAA's hands and it's, it's now in the courtrooms. Um, obviously it, it does affect NCAA eligibility if there's violations and stuff like that, but the NCA is kind of like, all You're right, done. you guys wanted it. You got it.
0: Well, talking to Matt Valenti about, the state of college or state of NCAA right now is kind of gets me nervous about some of these lawsuits that are going on about, you know, if athletes are considered employees and how that affects budgets and all that. So he kind of mm-hmm. got me a little worried there. Cause I didn't realize how, how big of a deal, all this NIL and all the budget stuff is.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's a big deal. Um, yeah. And, and just some other unknowns, you know, there's this NCAA transformation committee, which is like looking at the big picture of college athletics and, I know Matt talked about this on on your guys podcast but just you know coaching limits and scholarship limits and just some of these things like if they change the rules on that like how it could really affect the, the landscape of the NCA and um the uh, the way it's been has kind of been the the way for so long and now things are starting to change and, and there's a lot of unknowns of what a, what it might look like for Um, down the road and for someone that you know wants to make their career
0: in the (laughs) ncaa you
1: know as a head coach one day and maybe an athletic administrator after that you know it's kind of like what is this big picture of things going to look like It's a little scary
0: yeah i know and i i hope it i hope we make it through it un unscathed so to speak and and just keep on moving because it's an amazing thing you know to go the ncaa tournament and see everyone supporting their teams and then when you look at the u.s open which is just as good a guy. It's maybe not as deep, but you don't see nearly involvement. And it's, I think it's a lot of it's has to do with the school, right? People just love mm-hmm. getting behind their school.
1: Yeah. It's funny. You, you go to the U S open, like some of these matches that are happening in the first, second rounds would be like, if, if they happen at the NSA tournament, would be like the storyline of the tournament. And they're just kind of happening over in the corner here with like 20 people watching, um, but I think this year's U.S. Open might be a little bit different. Just the people that are registered for that—it's it, it, the best U.S. Open that I can remember. So excited. So I'm yeah. excited. Yeah,
0: man, it's going to be awesome. It's—I love how the format now it matters. Like anytime we have a tournament, when people say it doesn't matter, that's obviously bad for wrestling. So this year it's going to be awesome. And when you think, I think back to a, another U.S. Open when Kale made the bet with you guys. Did he have to go to the U.S. Open and make the team that year?
1: No. So the bet the actual bet was that um, he would wrestle in Northeast regionals. Um, oh. So that was the original bet. And it just so happened that the Northeast regionals that year was the last chance qualifier, but I don't think we had really known that like back, th- back then the Northeast regionals was kind of like, you know, the-, the one freestyle, like open tournament really. Um, so you know we're like okay you know if we win you go to the northeast regionals and he agreed to it so he went to northeast regionals and i always joke around with with richard perry because richard and up wrestled him like first round at the northeast regionals <laughs> that year but he was uh in college at bloomsburg he's like what the heck but uh but yeah Kale obviously steamrolled through the the northeast regionals which qualified him then for i think it was the world team trials or whatever the the next event was. And then he went, went to that and obviously won the trials and went and wrestled in the world championship. So it was like, it started off as a bet. And then I think when he won that, he's like, Oh, I might as well go to the trials. Now Won the trials, like, Oh, might as well go to worlds
0: and beat beat Herbert at the trials. Who was a world
1: silver medalist. I truly think that if we had the scoring rules that we do now, Kale would have won the worlds that year. I think he was really, um, really affected by just that that ball draw era and oh. people trying to slow things down and win win in the clinch. I think the two point takedowns, the push outs, the continuous, you know, six minute match um without the breaks in between, I think I think he would have been the world champion that year. And I think if he if he had done that, he would have wrestled in the in the Olympics in, in, in London. Yeah. Wow. I do. And so also, folks go ahead. Yeah. Just like the inner workings of the program that year, we were coming off our first NCAA championship in 2011 obviously and I think some guys got a little um you know that summer we took our foot off the gas and maybe um we weren't training as as hard as we could have been and um you know Kale was gone a lot for those tournaments and the camps and stuff and then he kind of got back and just was evaluating like the state of the program and just where some guys were at he just decided you know he needs to put the team first um so he decided not to try to try to go for the Olympics that next year but I think that was in his head you know if he does well at the world's wrestling the Olympics the next year, but um, kudos to him. You know, he he put the priorities of of the team before his own personal things that he was thinking about.
0: So things were slipping a little bit after the first, the first
1: natty. Things were slipping a little bit. Um, Yeah. There were some guys maybe not doing the things they should have been doing that summer. And he saw the culture going in a way that he wasn't comfortable with and just, you know, okay, I need to be back fully present and just make sure that we're doing what we need to be doing. And then obviously we repeated then in, in 2012. And I think in my, in my, um, you know, opinion, I think that was one of the best teams that Penn State's had that 2012 team. That was, a, that was a fun team to be a part of
0: 2012. So that was the, the David Taylor, Edward was Quentin Wright still there or no
1: Quentin. Yeah. So that was, uh, so that was my you, junior year. Yeah. Quentin was a junior Um, so that was the year that Frank Monero was uh, a national champion. He had an undefeated season. Um, Ed Ruth won, David won his first national title that year. Um, so it just was like, we just went from kind of being the new kid on the block to like dominating. And we we still lost Iowa in the duel that year, which kind of stunk, but it was just kind of like, it was the next step up for, for the team and the guys. And it was just a lot of fun that year.
0: So, in 2011, when you, when you guys went for the first time, did you beat Iowa in the duel and win the Big Tens or no?
1: So, we didn't beat Iowa in a duel meet when I was there at all. So, I graduated in 2013. We lost to them in Carver-Hawkeye my senior year. Uh, they beat us at Penn State my junior year and um, the year before. That that was also at Rec Hall. They beat us. We thought we had a good chance. So yeah, they, we didn't beat Iowa, or Penn State didn't beat Iowa. I think to the year after I graduated in twenty fourteen. I think was the first year they beat them. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. That was kind of that was kind of the the monkey that we were trying to get off our back for the longest right. time. We would do really well in uh, tournament competition against them because we were really good at scoring bonus points and had a really balanced lineup. Um, but in dual meets, they they would give us some trouble there for a bit. Were you there when the Altons were there? Yep. Yeah, they're some of my best friends. Dude, those I, guys I are so I was just tough. Playing golf. I was just playing golf with Dylan on uh, on, on Saturday.
0: <laughs> are they still involved with wrestling?
1: Uh, they're not involved with wrestling too much anymore. So they both coached college for a little bit after they graduated. Uh, Andrew was at F&M for a bit, and then he was training down at Virginia Tech. And Dylan was with me up at West Point for a couple of years. Um, so they're out of wrestling now, but um, one of our mutual friends is a high school coach here in the in the Philly suburbs. So sometimes those guys get in the room with him and just show some some high school kids, you know, some stuff and roll around with them, but um, not in a formal position or anything.
0: Yeah, that's a name I associate with the program from those early days as well. Like those two were so solid.
1: Yeah, so that 2012 year that I was talking about was a lot of fun. That, that was um, Dylan's freshman year. He got third at NCA's that year. And that was, unfortunately, the only year he was really healthy. And then he had a bunch of – him and his brother both, Andrew had a bunch of shoulder surgeries, and Andrew had an ACL surgery. And um, a lot of people don't know how banged up those guys really were. And they were always like, oh, they're out of shape or this and that. But I'm like, you have no idea what this kid's going through. Like, he's, he should really not be wrestling at all. <laughs> and he's out here, you know. Battling. Be- beating a lot of really good kids but just maybe not dominating it the way that people expected or I don't know. Right. But uh, but yeah, those guys are warriors. So
0: let's, let's take it from the beginning. So you're at Penn state, you recruited by coach Sutherland. Yep. And are you there a year or you're not even there a year when, when you start hearing some news coming around?
1: Yeah. So, um, so I actually came to Penn state because of my relationship with John Hughes so coach Hughes was always coaching the PA teams and freestyle and Greco at the junior duels and at Fargo. So I, I developed a relationship with coach Hughes. He recruited me to Penn state. And then unfortunately that summer, uh, when I was at Fargo, I found out that he was leaving Penn state, he was going to Lehigh. So even though John Hughes recruited me, I, I never was able to have him as my coach, which I was also always a little bit bummed about. Um, so I got to Penn state my freshman year and, um, they had just hired a couple new coaches. So Sunderland was the head coach. They had um, Troy Letters and Mark Perry were in their first year. And they were fresh out of college. And then we had Aaron Onsbach, who was the NCAA finalist. And we had Matt Durnlin on staff. So we had a really good staff. But I feel like just the things, it was kind of maybe not the most cohesive. You know, um, a lot of different ideas of how we should be training. And think a little bit of overtraining and just some, a lot of culture things that, um, you know, maybe guys not doing the right things, just different culture expectation there. But you that know is how f-
0: crazy it is that Troy Letters and Mark Perry are on staff when Troy yeah. Letters going for, you know, his, I guess his junior year where he still could have been, you know, a, a three timer. Mark Perry upsets him in the semis. I just, I yeah. just had Troy on, but I didn't even think about the fact that him and Perry were on staff until you just said that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it was... Um, That's crazy. It, it is crazy. It is crazy. It's, it's something that we recognized. And You know, thinking back, like, they were, that was, like, their first job out of college, really. You know, they were on staff together. So, I don't know all the inner workings now, like, because obviously I'm a wide-eyed college freshman. Like, I know nothing. But now, like, that I'm in a coaching <laughs> role, like, I'm yeah, interested, like... Yeah, you were so like, young,
0: dude. Yeah,
1: I'm interested, like, how they pulled that off, just, like, putting that staff together that year, because... You know, John Hughes had came off. Uh, Dave Hart had came off staff. So it was, uh, yeah. I'm interested to see how that how that all went down. And then,
0: at what point during the spring do you start hearing that there's potentially some changes?
1: Yeah, so we heard pretty pretty shortly after the NCA. So my senior high school, Penn State was third at the NCA's, um, but. Honestly, it was kind of like they just had a really good tournament. Maybe the season wasn't the best for them, but they had a really good tournament. They had um, Phil Davis won it. Bubba Jenkins was in the finals. He got second. Dan Valmont was third. Mark McKnight was fourth. So they had a first, a second, a third, and a fourth, and they got third as a team. Um, And then Phil Davis graduated, McKnight graduated, and then that next year a lot of the the other guys were returning, and I think they had – Maybe expected the success to continue at that rate, but it wasn't. So there was a lot of like frustration trying to figure out what's going on. Why are we not having the success we need and switching things up and trying to train harder and just, um, yeah, it was a lot of confusion of just like, and frustration. Like, why are we not having the success that we want that year? And uh, shortly after the NCA's, you know, we could think we were like 17th that year is where we finished um there was rumblings that there was going to be a change and then Sunderland stepped down and then there was this weird in-between period where like we didn't know who the head coach was going to be we were like training to get ready for the freestyle tournaments like the U20s and and university nationals and and stuff like that where like the assistants are training us but like we don't know if we're going to be your coaches or who's going to be our boss and uh a lot of names were getting thrown around and it kind of came down to a lot of people thought it was going to be rob cole who was going to get the job and uh that's the way we a lot of us thought it was going to land and then in like the 11th hour people were like whispering like did you hear kale was on campus kale sanderson like, kale Sanders, <laughs> yeah they flew him in on a jet like and then people were just like walking around campus trying to like spot him and then someone's like yeah i saw him i saw him he's here uh did you ever see him on campus I didn't see him I didn't see him until the press conference um and and yeah and then it was it happened very fast from like the time people were like he's on campus and I think it was just like a few days later he was announced as as the next head coach what are you thinking I'm thinking honestly I'm thinking I'm probably gonna get cut (laughs) 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 I think a lot of us that weren't like you know big time star recruits were probably thinking like uh, I, I don't know, you know, it, wh- what's going to happen, right? I think a lot of the guys that were, like, established starters or older guys probably thought that they were pretty good, you know, but I was just a freshman, walk-on, you know, preferred walk-on. Um, and I was thinking, yeah, I don't know. We'll see how this goes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work really hard and <laughs> see what happens. Um, but in my defense, I was kind of right because within one year of Kill, um being the head coach, we had 17 kids um, leave the program.
0: What do you think the biggest reason was?
1: I think the um, change in just expectation of commitment, both in, in, in terms of what it meant to be a Penn State wrestler, in, in terms of like the year-round training, um, just the, the quality of training that we were putting in, the commitment level it took, and, and I think um, the off-the-mat, the lifestyle uh, expectations. So a lot of people... Um, wanted to remain on the team, but it wasn't their choice to leave the team. Other people, it was their choice because they couldn't meet, they didn't want to meet the expectations of the new standard. So it was a combination of both.
0: And when you say the commitment level, <clears throat> I got to imagine the Penn State before K was still working their butts off and guys are going hard. What's the biggest difference in commitment level?
1: Um, I would say it was a little bit of a culture of work hard, play hard. You know, honestly, before... With the old coaching staff, it's like we could make up for these other things just just through hard work. Um, and it was just it was a year round, you know, like we're everybody's staying for the summer, everybody's training. Um, and that was just a loss of- before. Um, so I didn't I had heard things, but I wasn't in it as much, you know, because I, I was still in high school at that point. But um, and I think like people worked hard, but maybe not as efficient. Like Kale's big thing was like we're not a track team, we're a wrestling team, we're gonna wrestle. So like we the just the amount that we were wrestling, especially in the off season, just went up a lot more. A lot of times, other people would be like, "Come oh in, maybe on the mat a couple of days a week." They're running, they're lifting, they're doing other stuff. But It was like, we're wrestling. We're getting better at wrestling. Um, so I think that was a big, big change too.
0: And what about the first time you met with met with the big guy one on one? What was that scene?
1: Yeah, it was funny. Uh, so him and him and Casey Cunningham. So if you know uh kale he's intimidating but if you know casey cunningham he's maybe even more intimidating than (laughs) kale (laughs) so like i remember my meeting like they came in i came into the office and it was just like them two sitting there and basically just like drilling, you know just asking a lot of questions and trying to get down to the the details of the culture and maybe where the issues lie and just like you know it kind of felt like you had the bright light like shining on you in the dark room and you were being interrogated I think, you know, they were just trying to get, a, at the end of the day, they were trying to get a pulse on where things were at. But, like, for me, I'm, like, shaking in my boots, you know. Um, <laughs> but every single person on the team had a meeting like that, and a lot of the people were talk- just talking about the same things. Like, did they ask you this? Did they ask you this? It's like, yeah, they did. Um, so, so yeah. That's, but man. I I would say, like, it's incredible what they did to to turn things around as fast as they did. Um, just because like Roger talks about this all the time just like how long it takes to turn around a college program like for most people on average it's, it's about 10 years because it takes two full recruiting cycles to get you know things really really turned around at, at a rate that's not just like a flash in the pan but it's it's consistent success um, you know our aim here at Penn was was to do that in, in about half the time you know like five six years um, and you know Kale did it in two So in terms of like, (laughs) so yeah, he came in hard and fast and changed a lot of things. And we did some people out, but um, I think you look at it, you can't argue that his method was successful and and it wasn't just short-term success. Obviously it's, it's sustainable.
0: And it's even, it's, it kind of goes into what you were saying too, about the, how in 2011, you the bet he wins it but then comes back things are maybe slipping a a skosh which i'm sure Mm -hmm. was very minor but noticeable to him and he says i gotta i gotta pull back I gotta put the culture back first yeah wow yeah man that's a and i love the fact that it's you know the non-track team approach and i know that's something a lot of programs are are hopefully adopting but like man that makes so much sense right i mean i'm sure that's something you guys are doing now with with your guys
1: yeah yeah like when i was in high school like it was drilling and it was live and that was it. Like there was I had no concept of like play wrestling or sparring. Um, you know, I didn't know about grind matches or doing so like, you know, the first time that Kale's trying to teach us all how to like play wrestle and how do you like slow things down and explore positions and not as much like drilling a move like repetition over and over and over, but like all right, put yourself in this position and, and play around with it and just let your instincts take over and see what you feel. So it was a lot of that. It was a lot of technique work, you know, implementing, you know, his style of how he wanted uh, us to compete. Um, And I remember the first time we did, like, a grind match, and I'm like, wait, we're wrestling live for 45 minutes? What are you talking about? (laughs) So, um, like – See, I didn't know Cam would
0: be a grind match guy.
1: Oh, yeah. We we did a lot of, like, really hard training in the summers. Um, Yeah, we did a lot of hard training in the summers. We do grind matches. We do – um we do these workouts. These were a little bit more in season, but we do these workouts where it was like a starter would be paired up with a non-starter and it'd be like four positions. Let's say it was like uh two takedowns, escape in a takedown, feet to back, one other. It was like we couldn't move on to the next position until all 10 out of 10 starters executed the go, whatever the amount of time it was. And we were like two hours in. And then one times like, I was like well, we'll turn the lights off in here if we have to. Like, we'll shut the building down. We're not leaving until everybody gets it. So,
0: wow. Yeah. What kind of positions did, did you guys start exploring that were different from the previous regiment?
1: Yeah. Um, barnacle scrambles, um, is something that Kale implemented, just like being able to win those 50 50 positions, those scrambled positions. Um, we do play wrestling in a lot of just like, well, a lot of it wasn't like, scripted there was some scripting but sometimes it was just like an open flow like okay you know just just kind of get in as many different positions as you can like it doesn't matter if you give up 100 points you know try to score 110 points try to just score more than you're giving up just like exploring different positions so sometimes it was like okay start in this position but a lot i feel like a lot more times it was just open
0: so how would you define play wrestling though for folks who aren't Cause you know, I think I kind of know what it means, but just curious.
1: Yeah. So in my mind, there's there's kind of four different levels. There's there's drilling, there's play wrestling, there's sparring, and there's live. So drilling, you know, obviously, like we're going back and forth, one and one, two and two, whatever it is. Spar or play wrestling would be, and and let's just you know put percentages on it. Let's say you know drilling, um, it just depends on how hard you're drilling, right? That that could go at kind of varying degrees of percentages but i would think like a play wrestle would be kind of like 60 to 70 percent like um i'm not preventing you from scoring like i, I like play wrestling going maybe i'm like i'm like 90 percent of the way to a score i'm about to take you down and i let up just a little bit to let you figure out what you need to do defensively uh, or or i'm, I'm forcing a scramble position so that we can both both figure out this scramble position. Sometimes it's long scrambles where nobody's scoring. Sometimes it's a lot of scoring back and forth. Um, But if one person starts picking it up a little bit and the other person has to follow, and that usually starts going to a spar. Now it's like, that's kind of that next level up. Like, okay, it's harder. You know, think about boxing. Sparring is like, you know, they're not trying to knock each other out, but they're, they're punching pretty hard, right? They're working their combos. So sparring is kind of that next level up. And as soon as someone starts to pick it up a little bit from there, you, you're going live all of a sudden. So it takes to, to really play wrestle. It takes both guys just being on that mutual, like, okay, ego, I'm going to give up points. That's fine. We're flowing. We're exploring positions. Um, sparring is usually um, okay. We're, we're looking to get a little bit, something harder out of this. We're not flowing as much. And then obviously, you know, live wrestling is live wrestling, but, it just takes one bad partner to kind of flood, <laughs> throw it, throw it a uh, wrench in there. You know, you could plan on going sparring, but one guy's just going live. Like, okay, well, let's just go live then. You know, um, but it's
0: funny because I would think it's highly dependent on how good, as you said, your partner is. Right, like, that's yeah. everything. I mean, especially at that level, man. Like, uh, like to see the Magic Man and Ed Ruth doing a little play wrestling or sparring, like that's that's special.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We had some really good guys in the room too. So that's the thing, like as a coach now, like if I could go back and just watch some of my teammates, I would be interested to do that. Cause I was obviously in, in the practices, I was focused on myself, it. but there were so many good guys in the room back then, you know?
0: Yeah. And once you, once you, you know, were in that regiment and you decided to stay, um, I noticed you, you repost a lot of David Taylor stuff. So like, like me, man, I'm, I'm a magic, uh, Big fan of the Magic Man. How did you uh like? What's your relationship with David?
1: My relationship with David started when we were schoolboys and we wrestled at schoolboy duels. And uh, I remember he stepped out on the mat. I had no idea who he was. was a Little kid with big old ears, and I'm like, oh, I'm gonna smoke this kid. And then I think he teched me in like 30 seconds. Uh, okay, this, <laughs> kid's <pretty good. laughs> this kid's pretty good. This uh, kid's pretty good. It's funny. I actually wrestled BJ at that same that same schoolboy duels. I wrestled a bunch of good kids there. But um, was that in Indiana? I, Yeah, that was in Indianapolis.
0: Ah, I was on that team with BJ. That's so funny. Yeah, Yeah, that was
1: like 2002 maybe or something like that.
0: Dude, that was before like the schoolboy deals was even, I don't even remember anyone talking about it. I feel like we got called for the team like a week before or something.
1: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So was he wrestling for our Team Ohio then? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, he was on Team Ohio. And uh, obviously I followed his high school career a little bit. You know, we were never the same weight after that. He was always smaller than me um but obviously you know he had a ton of success and um when he committed to Iowa State you know I was like I kind of noticed it but like didn't really think anything of it and then when Kale came that was like the big question like all right well is David going to come now um is Kyler going to come or some of these other guys going to come we thought more people were going to come we thought you know, like we we're like oh well, Iowa State's entire starting lineup is going to transfer to Penn State we're all going to be you know, out of a job kind of thing. And that didn't come to fruition. A like lot Varner community.
0: was there, right? Like Varner didn't so come?
1: Varner and Fanthorpe were both seniors. And then they came that very next year after they graduated and they were RTC athletes for the New, okay. New Line Wrestling Club. Yeah. Okay. So I think they wanted to come. I mean, I don't want to put words in their mouth, but I think I think that they wanted to come, but they just kind of were, all right, let's finish it out. And then they came that next year as, as uh, NLWC athletes.
0: And do you remember David coming around campus for like recruiting visits, or did it did it not get to that level?
1: Yeah, so I I don't remember David's official, or even if he took one. The first time I remember is he came to um he came to campus and was working out before junior duels that summer, and he was wrestling one thirty five, and me and two or three other guys that were around that weight because I was a thirty three pounder, uh, we rolled with him that week. He was in for like a week or a couple of days um just training freestyle and so that was the first time I wrestled with him then um he was still a little bit better than me (laughs) uh even though I had a year in the college room he was still better than me I don't think I got teched in 30 seconds this time um (laughs) but that was really the last time we ever really wrestled because after that he was up to 157 that next year I stayed at 33 um but me and David weren't super close this freshman year and then we developed you know a really really great friendship over the years, we've remained super close. Um, I was actually a, a groomsman in his wedding um, when he got married out in Chicago. I've been to two world championships to go and support him and, and be with him. So I went to Budapest when he won his first world championship. And I was just in uh, Serbia this past year with him and his family. Um, so me and another one of my buddies, James English, were like, all right, every year that David makes a team, we're going to go watch and support. Uh, we couldn't go to... Tokyo or Oslo because they didn't allow fans or we probably would have been there, but yeah. Dude, that first
0: round match in 2017 against Yazdani when he was losing, that had to be electric to be there in person.
1: It's funny how that all went down because we were walking around uh, Budapest with our little friend group we had there. So me and my wife were there, James and his wife, uh, Kendra, uh, Taylor was there and we were all kind of just like walking around Budapest, exploring the city and the draws came out and I was the first one to see him because I was on my phone just refreshing. And I'm like, "The draws are out. Kendra's like, who's he got? He's got, he has Donnie first match. Let's so go. Like, uh, we're like, Oh man. Uh, we're, so we're talking through the different scenarios. We're like, all right, if he beats him, he's got a clear path. You know, he's going to win. If he loses, this is a great first round draw because he'll get pulled in for the rep will be, you know, competing for a medal. So it's not a deal, but it's, it's you know, it's, it's not bad. So, and then it's funny the next day we get there and there was some logistical error or something, but they weren't opening the doors to the arena. So there's hundreds of people lined up around the arena waiting for the doors to open. And it's like clock's ticking. We're looking at the clock like, okay, wrestling starts in like 10 minutes. When are they going to open these doors? So they finally open the doors and we're rushing in there. We don't even go to our seats. We just go to the first tunnel by the time we get in and he's like taking the mat. I think he was, like, the second match. I think there was a match before him. Um, so, like, we just get in the building as he's taking the mat. And I was, like, talking to my buddy in line. I'm like, if we traveled halfway across the world and David loses this match, as yes, Donnie gets knocked out, we didn't even get in the building to see him, I'm going to be so mad. But Man. it all worked out. It all worked out. But, yeah, we was, like, he was, you know, he was down early and then he started charging back and in typical – david fashion you know broke him with his pace so it was it was awesome to see and then after that it was the the drama in the semis when he got knocked out by the russian mm-hmm. um i did i that i did not have a good feeling about that when he went down i thought he was not gonna be able to continue the match And then when he did continue he got taken down and scored right after that i'm like oh man and then he got his wits about him and um came back and won that match and we went and visited him in the hotel that night and he's like yeah look at my lip and he's like pulling out his lip it's like all smashed open from the guy kicking him in the face
0: Dude. Was like, that's such yeah. a great world though that's like the first time we saw david dake and i guess not Jaden. and had been there before but like we finally filled you know they added those extra weights in, so yeah all that was the first year legends were weights. there
1: yeah yeah we were stacked that year it was it was a fun it was a fun world championships to watch this past one was a little bit different, you know, without the, uh, the Russians and the Russians. So, um, still don't really know what's going to happen for this year's worlds, but, uh, but yeah, a little bit different, a little bit different, uh, flavor this year without those guys in Budapest. Like, you know, you had all the best guys there. That was a, that was a fun tournament. Yeah, That was a, really the first time I've like gone to a tournament as a fan. Like, Cause I got into coaching college like right after I graduated. So every tournament I've been to has been, you know, in a coaching role or I'm I'm there scouting, you know, high school kids if I go to a high school tournament. So going to a a tournament and watching, you know, these guys that have just watched through a screen, you know, these foreign athletes I've never really seen. Um being in a in a fan seat, that was a cool experience for me.
0: How would you compare a world to an NCAA's? Granted, you've only been coaching at the NCAAs, but like a yeah. world's where everyone's there, like a 2017 Swirls.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, the wrestling is just such a high level. It's such a high level. Um, was the, the fan arena th- sold
0: out? Like the fan, like seats sold out or no?
1: There were more people in Budapest than there were in, in um, Serbia this past year. So I think there were a few open seats, but um, I don't remember exactly what attendance was like. But it was cool seeing like the different countries have their like little fan section and, I always like sitting close to the Iranians because I like their horns and their bells and their whistles. And um, they're just so uh, passionate. Like some people get annoyed by that, but I'm like, I like the energy. I'll sit right by them. And like, you know, I think it's a cool thing, but the thing that is different for me, like I'm always kind of like a wrestling encyclopedia. Like I know when I was a little kid, that, that probably held me back a little bit in my career. I always knew who people were, what they accomplished. Um, you know how they did against like opponents and stuff like that, and, and same as in the NCA. Like I know a lot about people, you know, their records or whatever. You go to the World Championships, I'm like, I have no who, idea who this guy is. I can't even pronounce his name, but he's a beast. Then mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I'll go on Wikipedia and look him up, and I'm like, oh, you know, he's a world, you know, U23 gold, Euro silver, or something like that. Like, um, so there's, there's there's a lot of information available to figure out who people are, but like I don't know them nearly as well as I do the college guys.
0: Imagine going to worlds in the nineties before the internet, like how in the heck did could you follow anyone at that point? Yeah, I mean, outside of the top guys, right? the top guys, but that'd be that'd be brutal,
1: yeah, i uh bless the the national team coaches at that time, you know, trying to figure out who people were and getting film right. with people, probably a lot of word of mouth, like, hey, this guy's got a good gut, Watch out, you know, For trying sure. to figure out who people are and what they do. But it's interesting to hear the stories about um Coach Reina and, and Coach Slay. I know you did the documentary Slang Satya, but just hearing them prep for those guys and hearing some of the stuff, just like what a what a cool time, you know. hmm Yeah. But and different. We- different. Now everything's so available. You can go on, you know, any anybody can go and watch film on Yazdani you know, Charati. It's like or Sajalayev or david taylor i'm sure people in other countries are watching film on these american guys david taylor and jordan burroughs and kyle dake um but yeah you couldn't do that back then
0: you watch film on jordan burroughs all you're gonna do is get worried about how bad it's gonna hurt when he blasts you <laughs> yeah <laughs> that is that you just you know one of one or two of those is coming across the bow and it's coming at lightning speed and you yeah. can't do anything about it
1: no you can't it's like <laughs> a. It's like one of those bulls or uh, the goats that just like line up and they just ram you. And that's like how like genetically they're, they're designed to do that. So they don't hurt themselves. I'm like, George is built different, man. Like my, I would, I would have stingers like all day if I tried to wrestle like he wrestles, just like, but he's so strong. And I think um, just something that like to credit to him, he, he is a true professional. Um, he takes care of his body. He takes care of his diet. Um, he's had injuries they've always just kind of happened to fall around the world championships, but over the course of his career, he's, he's stayed very healthy. And mm-hmm. I think that's, that's a big part of why he's had the success that he has is he's a true professional. He treats his body like a temple and, um, he works at it hard.
0: Yeah. The videos of, of him and his son beacon, doing the workouts together at CrossFit are, are amazing. And you could see yeah. he's, he is way into obviously all aspects of it, the stretching, the, the hydration, um, the one thing I I want to ask you a couple of things is we close down. We talked about obviously Penn, Kale, and David Taylor. When you look at the Magic Man, his career, what mm-hmm. like what are some things? If a parent asks you, man, what's he doing that you really noticed over your time at Penn State and as a friend, like what do you what do you think really jumps out to you of of what David's doing?
1: Mm-hmm. So one thing that's always impressed me so much about David is he has won at every level, Um, you know, Tulsa Nationals as a kid, the Reno worlds, like you see a lot of those kids that have success at that youth level. And then some of them don't even wrestle in college, you know, so to have success at every level that he's wrestled at from all the way from a young kid to multiple time world champion, Olympic champion, I think it just says so much about um, him and, and the way that he dedicates himself to the game um, he has always held a really high standard for himself, a high standard of excellence. And he is one of the most competitive people that I've ever been around in my life, whether it's poker, whether it's whatever he's doing, he wants to be the best at it. And he's dedicated himself to the sport of wrestling. So just that all in dedication and he is stubborn and hates losing, um, to a fault, you know? Um, but I think that that personal commitment, that personal drive that he has just to be the best at what he does. It's, it's hard to replicate that. So it's like, how do you, you know, tell a parent what to do to have your kid be like David Taylor? Um, you know, it's his parents also have a, a high, high level of support for their kid. You know, they have, They've given him a lot of resources. They've followed him all over the world, competing all over the country as a little kid. So he has a strong support system from his parents. And they've exposed him to really good coaches and strength coaches and nutritionists, you know, at, at a young age. Um, and, you know, but but all that external stuff doesn't matter unless you have that internal drive and that competitive fire and that commitment. And David is just really self-driven Um it's impressive to be around uh, someone that's high level like that, you know, truly the best at at their craft.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's amazing how much better he's gotten since 2017. Like you talk about that 2017 draw back then, we're wondering, you know, him and Yazdani, maybe a toss up after what Mm -hmm. he did this year. Yazdani's like wondering how he can even stay in the match. I mean, that, that performance this year was unbelievable. And, his ability to to shut down the underhook on un, just insane
1: yeah, so that's another thing David you know what's made him so good is he's always progressed he's constantly reinventing himself you know like he got to college and um, he was really good on top in, in high school with his tilts and stuff, but um, he learned all that that crab half stuck back you know stuff he learned all that from letters um and, and he he'll, he'll be the first to say it you know and he really implemented kale style of ankle picks. Um, And he also picked up leg riding stuff from Casey Cunningham and leg slips, you know, from, from Cunningham and just other coaches. So he's like a spun and he's like, you know, he's always been really good, but it's, it's, you know, like little nuggets here and how can he better his game? Um, And then he got to the senior level and, you know, he did a lot of things that he did in college early on, you know, with the ankle picks and you see him hitting those back roll cradles against uh jb and in the u.s open his first year out of college and it's like never forget that yeah like he (laughs) he was wrestling like he wrestled in college you know and then people at the senior level they're professionals you know this is their job so they started to figure out the ankle pick and they started controlling that shooting hand and shutting down his offense so there was a little bit of time there where he wasn't having the results he wanted and he shifted weights and then um you don't see him hit too many ankle picks anymore. Now, a lot of times he's shooting single legs. He's snapping down, scoring a lot of front headlocks. So um, he's had to reinvent himself. He's had to get better. And um, after that, that Yazdani loss, he got better. It's it's funny. I was like talking to him at the Worlds and Series, He's like, yeah, this is the first time that I had a game plan for Yazdani. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, yeah, I just, you know, I knew I was the best in the world. I just needed to wrestle my style and how I want to compete. And I, I knew I could beat him. And, Every time he did that, but the margin got slimmer and slimmer. And then when Yazdani beat him, that was the first time he kinda had to take a step back and be like, Okay, I need to I need to figure out this underhook. I need to figure out this pace. I need to I need to game plan for this guy. So he tweaked what he was doing with the underhook stuff and um, which which side he was tying up with. And I don't wanna give his game plan away. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. He made he made some adjustments and it made a big difference in the match. So he's invented himself and he's been willing to to change and, and do a game plan.
0: And when you talk about just, you know, his advancement, isn't it even more impressive? JB kept Dake and David Taylor on the sidelines for all those years. Like Jordan yeah. Burrow's just in the pocket, keeping those guys out. And I know they bounced around different weights, you know, like 2016, they both of them maybe went up, but at various points, you know, JB's taking out Kyle Dake and David Taylor to make those yeah. world teams. And it's like, holy cow. That was, that's crazy to think about that.
1: Yeah. We all know why they went up though you know, it, it was because of Jordan. Um, yeah. So I, I think, I think there's a, a legitimate, like greatest of all time discussion, you know, between um, John Smith and Bruce Baumgartner and Jordan bros. And I, with all due respect to those other guys, I, I think it's, it's Jordan, you know, it's like, you look at the guys that he kept off the team, like you're talking about. And then you look at, you know, back in those days, you know, there was one Russian in the bracket. Exactly. That was it. Now half of the bracket is Russians. And now, Now another half of the bracket's Americans, (laughs) you know, Americans wrestle for other countries too. So we're starting to do that with with some of our guys here domestically, but you look at the guys that he's, he's beaten to keep off the teams. You look at the, just the the change of the landscape across the world with the amount of guys from power countries representing other countries. And then you look at his longevity over the time. It wasn't just like in a short window. He's done it over such a long time. Um, So uh, we're we're just super grateful that he chose the PRTC to, to finish Man. up his career and um, you know to bring two world championships so far back to Philly um, has been been cool to see that and be a part of that and a lot of people you know I don't think they realize like but it, it's not like he was rattling off world championships when he joined us like he hadn't won the world since 2017 mm-hmm. um, so he hadn't hadn't been performing at the level that he wanted and then to come here and um coach slay did a really good job of just getting him back to the basics, getting him back to the things that he does really well. I think Jordan had always kind of been a little bit like David, like how can I reinvent myself? How can I get better? Uh, but just getting him back to the basics of the things that he's always doing really well. You look at his film from you know eighteen nineteen to to twenty one twenty two, he's shooting a lot more double legs. He's he's getting a lot mm-hmm. more push outs, creating forward pressure and hand fighting. Um, so, you know, to, to see that and, you know, he's a, he's one of the best, if not the best of all time. And he's coming here and, and making adjustments to his game and, and getting back on top of the world is, it's been awesome to be a part of and just, you know, I don't have a huge role in, in coaching Jordan, but, um, a little bit, you know, I was at final X with him in the back and just like, you know, just, I went out to the worlds, obviously was there with, with him there. And, you know, it's, 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 it's cool to just take what little bit you can from, from an athlete like that.
0: Just being around JB, like before a match in the back or like in the weeks leading up to a big event, that's, that's priceless. That's something you'd kill to be to like right next to like a Tom Brady before a game. Like that's the same thing, you know? And what I love about JB being at the PRTC is one seeing coach slay in the corner. Like he, you know, every time he says run, run, run with a double (laughs) leg. But, uh, but also it's like JB is like totally bought in on, on the, on the pen movement. Like, I feel like he's really in the team room. Like he's with, you know, I don't know, this is all from afar, but it looks like with beat the streets with the RTC and with the college guys, it's like, he's in there. He's a, he's a team guy.
1: Yeah, he is for sure. You know, he, you know, comes in unceremoniously and changes his shoes in the locker room and doesn't even have a locker. You know, we tried to give him a locker. He's like, no, I don't need the locker. So he just like brings his stuff in and, puts his shoes on and comes and trains and sometimes we have recruits come through we have our PRTC developmental practices where high school kids come through and they're like they walk through the locker room like Jordan Burroughs like he's actually (laughs) he's actually like here like like yeah we weren't just like pitching that to you like this is real like he's here he trains here um so like I think some of our college guys were like that a little bit at first when he first got here but now they're like yeah I mean we're in the locker room, getting changed with Jordan, he's in practice. Yeah, like um, that'd be so, like a high
0: school kid like going to a workout and LeBron James is there. It's like yes. that's unheard of.
1: It is. It's unheard of. So, um, but yeah, you know, Jordan's really involved with Beat the Streets now, and I think at first, you know, he was a little worried about, uh, maybe not worried, but just he didn't want it to be about him, right? He wanted to make sure it was about the kids. So like he doesn't make a big announcement and it's not on social media or anything. Um, And oftentimes he doesn't even let the kids know when he's going up there because he doesn't want people coming just because Jordan's going to be there. Like he doesn't want kids coming just because, you know, Mm -hmm. for for other reasons. So he'll just pop in. He'll just walk into the office, see who's there, go talk to the kids and, you know, just help them however he can, you know? So it's like, he does it in his own way, but he doesn't want it to be about him. He wants it to be about the kids
0: imagine the impact that has on a kid you're sitting there in practice all of a sudden jv walks in like you'll never forget that i mean that up until you're 50 years old you'll be telling people that and by then no one will believe you (laughs) Mm -hmm. right it's like
1: yeah and sometimes it's not even practice sometimes the kids are in there in the mentoring center they're just sitting there doing homework and you know a place to go after school and you know jordan walks in hey how's it going how was your day and just starts talking to him you know
0: well i wanted to sign down with Sign off with this coach, uh, one of our sponsors who's been with us a couple of years, the Frog Ninja Wrestling Camp Wrestling Club. They, you know, they're doing some camps this summer, and you are going to be working with them. Tell us a little bit yep. about how you got involved with them and um, kind of what that's about.
1: Yeah, so um, two of my former college teammates, uh, one is is Kyle Moran. So Kyle Kyle basically runs. Uh, The frog ninja started out as a a club and now they're expanding. They're doing some, some camps, some, some, some summer camps. Um, So Kyle was actually one of my main training partners at Penn state. And one of these guys that, you know, didn't get to compete in the spotlight every weekend, but really contributed to the program, just being there. He he was one of the guys that like um, whatever you need, you know, if it's an extra drill, an extra workout, um, he was always there for for you when you needed. So he was a good teammate. Um, He's remained a friend after college. So, um, he, he asked me to get involved, so I'm, I'm happy to get involved and give back. And then another one of the guys that went to the same high school, his name was Nick Ruggier. Um He was um, in the starting role uh, occasionally at Penn State. He started his freshman year and then moved up to heavyweight from 97 and was starting sometimes after that. Um, but Nick's also in the area. He works with the club and with the camps. So, um, yeah, it was like I I went to the, the camp last summer and I wanted to like, like reminisce and shoot the breeze with those guys i'm like i gotta coach you know i gotta gotta help these kids out so but it's been cool to reconnect with those guys and just you know give back to wrestling in the area you know that's that's what we're all about here at penn it's like you know we want to we want to help our college program help the prtc and beat the streets but also when we can get out to the surrounding areas and just educate those kids and whether it's about college opportunities or just teaching them a wrestling move like we want to do that as much as we can
0: absolutely man Well, Coach, it's been an honor to have you on and had so much fun talking wrestling with you today. Really appreciate it, and welcome back anytime, man. Thanks again.
1: Yeah, yeah. thanks for having me. I really appreciate what you're doing for the sport.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Wrestling Changed My Life. This episode was presented by Frog Ninja Wrestling Club, who's putting on two camps this summer. Go to frogninjarwrestlingclub.com if you're in the PA area and want to learn from some of the best in the business com. Register for their upcoming summer camps now. We'll see you later this week with a new episode of Wrestling Changed My Life. Peace!